The readings from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where, for forty days, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendour. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Thank you, Pamela. Uh, Friends, do have your Bibles open, please, back um, there, Luke 4. Uh, Let me pray as we turn to God's word and expect him to speak. Let's pray. Father, our prayer this afternoon is that you would speak through these words inspired by your spirit. uh, As we hear them, as we meditate upon them, as they dwell in us, would that same spirit bring them to life would we hear and would we engage and meet and know Jesus better as we do so for our joy in his glory amen one of uh, my favorite films of last year is Top Gun uh, Maverick maybe you've seen it it's the long-awaited sequel to the classic 80s film Top Gun starring Tom Cruise Uh, The basic plot of Top Gun Maverick revolves around the heroic exploits of US Navy pilot Pete Maverick Mitchell. Uh, And the the story involves him leading a crucial, dangerous mission to destroy an illegal uranium enrichment plant as a matter of world security. If he and his team succeed, the world is safe. But if he and they fail... The world is in danger. It's a familiar moment of tension. Almost any TV show or film has that moment when, in the words of Galadriel from The Lord of the Rings, the quest stands upon the edge of a knife. 
Stray but a little, and it will fail to the ruin of all. Yet hope remains, while the company is true. It's a moment when, when things hang in the balance, when the hero faces a choice, when, based upon their actions, things will turn out okay or go to ruin. And it is exactly that moment of tension that we encounter in Luke chapter 4 that we're considering this afternoon. And the stakes are supremely high when we do. If the hero in this true story fails, then everything is ruined for all time. We remain eternally lost. There's no hope for any of us. But if the hero stands firm, holds his course, sees the mission through, then a way forward is possible. We can have a future after all. In the true story we're looking at this afternoon, we see Jesus being tempted by Satan, the great enemy of God and God's people. And it is a pivotal moment at the start of Jesus' ministry. He's just been baptised in chapter 3. He's just heard the Father's ringing endorsement, verse 22. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. But before his public ministry starts, there is this intense moment of spiritual conflict where Satan comes and tempts Jesus and strikes at God's declaration about him. I think it is deliberate that twice uh, uh, the devil begins the temptations if, or or better, since you are the son of God, verse 3 and verse 9. Now, Satan isn't questioning whether Jesus is the son of God, hence since is a better translation. Um, But he's challenging what it means for Jesus to be the son of God. What sort of son is Jesus? Is he a son who trusts the father? Or is he a different kind of son? That's the kind of feel and vibe of the temptations. But this is a classic satanic strategy. It's one of his signature moves. To to, to twist God's words to lead people into disobedience. The devil's been playing that tune from the beginning. And he may have the best tunes, but it's not always a good one. If Jesus listens to the satanic tune, if he gives in to the temptation, if he distrusts his father, then he is disqualified from the mission the father has for him. A mission that will take him to the cross so we can be reconciled to God. If Jesus fails here, we all remain lost. But if Jesus resists the temptation, if he continues on the course the Father has for him, we can have hope today. And be confident in him and know that he can protect us from the evil one. The stakes really are high this afternoon. And if we know anything of the true story of the Bible up to this point, we're right to be slightly nervous at this moment. You see, several times in the true story of the Bible, we meet other sons of God who crumble in the face of satanic temptation, who are defeated and fell to ruin. The Bible opens with the story of Adam. And a few verses earlier, chapter 3, verse 38, he is called the son of God. And he is tempted in the Garden of Eden, but he is deceived by Satan. And he plunges himself and the whole human race, indeed the whole creation, into death, ruin and misery. One nil 
to the evil one. This true story of the Bible continues with God calling the people of Israel as a son. But that son is tempted to doubt God on their pilgrimage from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the land of Canaan. And they suffer the long consequences for 40 years in the wilderness, away from a place of rest. Too nil to the evil one. So, so, so how will this new son of God fare? How will Jesus uh, uh, manage under this satanic temptation? Will this be a despairing case of deja vu where another son stumbles and falls? Will this be another sad confirmation of human inadequacy and human failure at the end and the end of God's plan to save the world through Jesus? Well, let's see what happens as the Son of God is tempted by the evil one. And the first thing to think about this afternoon is just that, that the story opens with the Son of God tempted, verses 1 and 2. The Son of God tempted. Striking, isn't it, how the Spirit is instrumental in bringing Jesus into this experience of temptation. Luke particularly accents that. Verse 1, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Again, that same verse, he is led by the Spirit into these temptations. The fact that Jesus is tempted is not a mistake, not a wrong move, it's not something that's gone wrong. No, it is the leading of the Spirit that brings Jesus into this experience. We read the temptations, verse 2, take place in the wilderness, where for 40 days Jesus is tempted by the devil. That location is deeply evocative. Some pretty big Old Testament bells are supposed to be ringing in our minds. Things didn't go well for Israel, the Son of God, in the wilderness last time out. The wilderness stands for a place of spiritual conflict and spiritual compromise in the history of Israel. And the, location, uh, and the length of the temptations is significant too. Forty days is one of those enigmatic, symbolic Old Testament numbers that keep cropping up in the story. Will history tragically repeat itself this time around? And it is significant that the temptations come when Jesus is supremely vulnerable. Did you notice that? Uh, the way Luke presents his material suggests that Jesus is tempted over the 40-day period. And what he focuses in on is merely the climax, the end game of all that's been happening so far. Verse 2. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them was hungry. Good old understatement. And in that moment of human vulnerability, the devil arrives and starts whispering about bread. It's no accident the temptations strike at the moment of Jesus' felt weakness. Here we see the Son of God tempted. But why does that matter? <laughs> like, sure, it's, it, it's interesting to know kind of adds some colour, some detail to Jesus' life story. But why does Luke bother including this incident and giving 13 verses of his precious gospel to it? It matters because it is good news for us that Jesus, the Son of God, is tempted. You see, it matters because being tempted is such an innately human thing, isn't it? All of us, if we're being honest, know the very human temptation to distrust God, 
to doubt him in some way, to walk away from him. All of us know that pull to disobey God and listen to the seductive whispering of temptation. And so here is Jesus, the Son of God, the true man, being tempted just as each and every one of us is. He's not removed from the nitty-gritty mess of our human condition. He doesn't hover above our situation in some kind of unmoved state, kind of keeping us at arm's length, afraid to get his hands dirty. He's not playing around at being human. He knows this deeply human experience. He fully identifies with us as he is tempted. That's the Spirit's intention in bringing Jesus into this experience. And that is good news because it means he can help us today when we are tempted. The writer to the Hebrews taps into this and says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Although one specific individual in human history, we read Jesus was tempted in every way, experiencing the full range of temptations in their various shapes and sizes, but all with that common centre of prompting us to doubt God. So just as we experienced many spiritual struggles in our temptations, so did Jesus. He's like us, and yet wonderfully not like us. He did not sin. He endured. He overcame. He did what we could never do. So if we are tempted, maybe tempted to give in to bitterness over our life circumstances, Jesus is sympathetic, and through him you can approach God and find grace and mercy to help. If we're tempted, tempted maybe to to look to our family for our security in life, Jesus is sympathetic, and through him we can approach God and find grace and mercy to help in our time of need. If we are tempted, maybe tempted to fear what people think about us, Jesus is sympathetic, and through him we can approach God and find grace and mercy to help in our time of need. Friends, whatever our specific temptations are, we are not on our own. We have one who knows what that is like. We can run to Jesus for help. He is sympathetic with our condition. He knows our weaknesses. We can cry to him for help in the middle of those very struggles. We can look to him for hope when we feel the pull of temptation. He has been there first. And in him there is hope. The Son of God tempted. That's where these verses begin. Secondly, we need to consider the Son of God tempted but faithful. Uh, That's where the story moves on. Chapters, uh, verses 3 to 12, sorry. Because, of course... The question is, what will the Son of God do when he is tempted? Well, he is tempted, but he is faithful under it. Let's take a look at what happens. Temptation number one, verse three. 
If or, or since you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. No big deal, right? What, what's the problem in performing a miracle to get some bread when you've got the power to do that and you're hungry? Kind of go, you know, probably because for Jesus to, to assert his authority here and perform this miracle is to step outside of trusting his father to provide for him. It would have been to repeat the classic human mistake of taking matters into our own hands rather than trusting the provision of our loving father. That would be to go down the road of every other son of God littered through human history. Jesus is aware what's at stake. Verse 4, it is written in answer, man shall not live on bread alone. It's not about food, Jesus says. There are bigger things at stake than my stomach. I'll trust my father to provide for me. Real joy, real food, real sustenance is obeying him and trusting his word, and that matters more than my stomach. Friends, we would do well to learn that lesson when we attempt it. We can learn to trust in our Father's good care. We can trust his provision. We don't need to take matters into our own hands. We can leave things with him. He is good and wise and loving. The Son of God is tempted but faithful. Or temptation number two, verse five. The devil led Jesus up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. In some ways, that strikes us as quite an obvious temptation, doesn't it? (laughs) And Jesus is clear, verse 8 Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. But there is more going on here than first meets the eye. And and again, it's a challenge to Jesus to entrust himself to his father's care. See, the devil offers Jesus universal reign, which is exactly what the father has already promised the son. But the path the Father calls the Son to walk, to receive that inheritance, is one of suffering before glory. Humiliation before greatness. Cross before crown. But the devil offers Jesus an alternative route. A shortcut. A quicker path to glory. Think of it as like one of those little treacherous alternative routes you get on Google Maps that deceptively claim to get you to your destination quicker but will leave you stranded in the middle of nowhere, lost, helpless, and shouting at your phone. The devil offers Jesus a quicker route that doesn't involve the cross, doesn't involve personal cost or self-denial and suffering. You can see the appeal, can't you? All it involves is offering the devil some worship. Well, thankfully, Jesus sees through the lies of the devil here and maintains his trust in God and his resolve to walk the costly path of obedience to the cross for us and then to glory. The Son models for us how we should resolve to worship the Father alone when tempted, even when costly, and see that the deepest allegiance of our hearts belong to him and no one else the son of god is tempted but faithful temptation number three verse nine the devil led jesus to jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple 
If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Ah, clever. The devil's got wise to the Jesus' resolve strategy to state and trust God's word, to be guided by scripture to overcome the temptations. So the devil quotes scripture himself. He appeals to the Old Testament in support of his temptation of Jesus. That's pretty twisted, isn't it? And again, Jesus resolves to trust his father, not to act in an irresponsible way that forces the father's hand, that that pushes the agenda, that takes matters into his own initiative. Jesus says, verse 12, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He sees through the devil's misguided use of scripture and determines to trust his father again. And in Jesus' firm commitment to use scripture to overcome temptation, here's one strategy open to us when we are tempted. You see, temptation always works on lies, especially a lie that we have to try and force God's hand or provoke him to work to our timetable rather than his. So as we are assured of the truth of God's word, we learn to see the devil's lies for what they are. Kind of like how you learn to tell that a line is wonky when you've drawn it, when you align it with the straight edge of a ruler. When confronted with temptation, we can remind ourselves that what God says is good and true and beautiful. And we can humbly trust our Father to work on his timetable with his agenda. See that model for us when the Son of God who is, is tempted but faithful. The Son of God tempted but faithful. Thirdly, and finally, we see in these verses the great truth that in Jesus, there is hope for faithless children of God. Because you get this rather kind of enigmatic summary statement, verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So far, so good. The Son of God has been faithful. He stood up to the devil. He's overcome the temptations. But the full and final defeat of Satan still lies yet in the future. An opportune time will come when the devil will again draw near to try and thwart Jesus, to derail the Father's plan and destroy God's people. And as Luke's Gospel unfolds, that time comes when Jesus is towards the end of his life when he's facing the imminent prospect of the cross. See, we've already seen it here, but the devil will pour all his diabolical energies into disrupting the cross, into stopping Jesus dying for the sins of the world. But we know how the story ends. Jesus triumphs again in those moments. He does go to the cross for us. He does rise again for us. And that means that in Jesus today, there is hope for faithless children of God. Because that's ultimately how these verses are meant to speak to us today. They may give us some surviving temptation life hacks, strategies to be aware of when tempted. I think we can learn useful useful things from the way Jesus overcomes temptation. He is a true man, our pattern of life and faith. That's okay. He did overcome temptation. We can learn from him. But therein is precisely the problem. 
You see, I don't always follow Jesus' pattern. I don't always trust the truthfulness of God's word. I don't always rely on the goodness of my father. I all too often fail to see through the lie of temptation. I'm prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, prone to make sinful, foolish choices as I give in to temptation. How about you? Well, as opposed to Jesus, the faithful son, I'm lined up with those other failed sons of God through history. But if you also are a faithless son or daughter, take heart. Because you see, in Jesus, we have one who went toe-to-toe with the devil and overcame. We have one who remained strong under temptation, who didn't crumble like we do. He did not sin. But we have one who trusted God, who held the course the Father had for him, and in that has brought us forgiveness through his death and resurrection. See, in Jesus, we can be forgiven for that innate tendency to fall for temptation, to distrust our Father. Jesus has paid for that fully. In Jesus, we can find spiritual protection because he has defeated the evil one. He can deliver us from Satan's clutches because he has stood firm for us. In Jesus, we can stand secure, even in our moments of spiritual wandering, because he has obeyed for us. He has secured righteousness for us. He has honoured his Father for us. See, as we cling to Jesus by faith, all he's done for us and his resurrection life flow into us. And our hope is put in him who alone can stand firm against the devil. As we cling to Jesus, our hearts are won by his beauty. So temptation looks less appealing and he looks so much sweeter. As we cling to Jesus, we can find his strength flowing into our hearts. So we learn to see more clearly the truth of God's word against the backgrounds of the devil's lies. He you see, is our champion. He, you see, is our confidence. He is our life. So look to him today, maybe for the first time. And as we look to him, we can find hope and help. See, in Jesus, there is hope for faithless children of God. You get loads of dramatic tension in Top Gun Maverick, but nothing to rival the depth and drama of what happens here in Luke chapter 4. The Son of God's tempted, but faithful. And so in him, faithless children of God can have hope today. That includes me, and that includes you. But maybe we're not so aware of these spiritual kind of hidden realities that that stand behind the stage of human history. Maybe even this language of the devil and spiritual conflict is confusing to some of us. Maybe our materialistic culture shapes us in unhelpful ways. And we tend to downplay or dismiss this idea of spiritual struggle as a product of a less enlightened, less scientific age. That would be a mistake to conclude that. But that could be a natural response in our hearts as we finish. 
So although we may have lots of questions about what's going on here, join the club, I certainly do. Let's end by listening to a Christian from a different age who was more aware of the reality of spiritual conflict than I tend to be, but equally aware of the overcoming power of Jesus too. Martin Luther was one of the leaders of the Reformation in Germany in the 1500s, and he once wrote a hymn that contained these words. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be. Christ Jesus. It is he. The Lord Almighty, his name. From age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. Indeed. Jesus won when he overcame temptation, Luke chapter 4. Jesus won when he died and rose again. And Jesus will win when he finally returns at the end of all things and overthrows Satan in final judgment and final victory. And until then, we can trust him. We can put our hope in him. He will keep us safe. He is our champion. He is our protector. He is our defender. Why don't we take a moment just in the quietness of our hearts to speak to Jesus now. Maybe you want to celebrate his rule. Or pray for his help in temptation. As you have... Um, uh, your heart stirred by the spirit why don't we just take a moment of quiet to pray and respond and then I'll lead us in a prayer and we'll sing our gracious Father, these words are, are rich and profound and so strange and familiar and yet refreshing all at once. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who took temptation on head first who stood where we fall, who endured where we fail, who conquered where we are crushed. Thank you that he, in his full glorious humanity, in, as uh, the Son of God made flesh, endured temptation for us. And in that sense, he gives us hope in our temptations. Father, would we put our confidence again in Jesus today? Would we find him to be a sympathetic high priest, moved and compassionate for our weaknesses and as we come to him would we find grace and mercy to help in our time of need would we reflect on the faith the lord jesus did show and reflect how we might better be able to imitate his pattern but would supremely our confidence never be in ourselves or in our faith but in him and him alone thank you that all the way through his life and ministry, he honoured you, trusted you, and gladly for us embraced that path of suffering to the cross. 
trusting that you would vindicate him in, in resurrection and glory. Thank you that you did that. Thank you that he did that. I thank you that one day, that final victory will be consummated. It's begun, Satan is crushed at the cross and yet not fully defeated yet. But thank you that one day he will be. One day. When our Lord comes and claims us for himself for all eternity. Father, would you give us confidence in our Lord Jesus until that day. We confess we are weak, but thank you that he is strong. We are frail, but thank you that he is wonderful. We're prone to wonder. Thank you that he is steadfast. Would he capture our hearts afresh for his glory, for our good? In his name we pray. Amen.